0: This is On The Grid, powered by talk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you so much for joining us for another week at... Looking at the world of motor racing and plenty happening in that world as well. We'll cover on off on supercars shortly as we catch up with uh, the brand new driver that will hit the grid in 2022 in a full time seat, that is, and that of course is Thomas Randall. More from Thomas shortly. We'll also catch up with Mark Walker and also uh, Richard Crowell to talk about what has been a very interesting weekend in the world of motorsport, not just in supercars, but in Formula One and also in MotoGP as well. Dale Rogers shortly also to give us a wrap-up on what happened in the French Grand Prix. All that to come right here on The Grid. But first of all, let's get straight into the news. And after the supercar season was delayed due to the coronavirus, the cars returned to the track as the Darwin Triple Crown finally took place this weekend. The winners across races 12 to 14 of the season were Chas Mostet and then back-to-back wins for championship leader Shane Van Gisbergen. Chas Mostert's win on Saturday was a chaotic one with pole sitter Anton Di Pasquale being caught in a pile-up and then race leader Van Gisbergen having to endure an extremely long pit stop, lasting 30 seconds, which cost him any chance of maintaining his lead in that race. However, the AAA driver was ecstatic overall.
1: Oh, yeah, awesome. Again, at the start, I don't know what's happened this weekend. I got three beauties and, um, yeah, just managed the pace and then drove away when um, the tyres were nice, but... um Man, got to thank Red Bull and Pole Racing. Our car wasn't very good and we're just chipped away. And all weekend it's been really good from the races. So just stoked, man. It's awesome.
0: With those latest wins, Shane Van Gisbergen now equals Peter Brock's career race wins tally of 48 and sits 221 points clear of the Drivers' Championship. The final race of the weekend also saw Dick Johnson Racing and Kelly Grove Racing received fines for pit stop infringements. Dick Johnson Racing were handed a $250 fine for a brake lock mechanism mishap, while Kelly Grove's fine was harsher $1,500 after it was found it was not not in control of the team's equipment. And supercar drivers were largely underwhelmed by the new super soft tyre compound used at the Darwin Triple Crown. The rubber made its belated debut with its first use being originally scheduled for winter of course, that was postponed a couple of weeks ago. It was hoped it would be uh, great to create variability in speed due to its faster degradation rate. However, the weekend's action proved that not to be the case with no major shuffling of the order and no one struggling with their tyres. Shane van Gisbergen clearly disappointed with the new tyre.
1: Well, it hasn't done what we hoped, has it? It hasn't degraded. I think it's got too much grip that it doesn't slide and wear out. So it's awesome to drive. Yeah, you've got so much grip, but it hasn't provided good racing. So... Maybe at Townsville where it wears out, we could use it there. I'm not sure, but, yeah, I just want to be able to race people.
0: And after recent uncertainty, supercars on Friday confirmed Townsville will go ahead in a couple of weeks' time. Tickford Racing also announcing that Thomas Randall will have a full-time supercar seat in 2022. We'll catch up with Tom Randall in just a tick. Formula One news, and Max Verstappen won the French Grand Prix. The Red Bull team used a strategy like that of Mercedes in Spain by bringing Verstappen in for an early pit stop handing top spot then to Lewis Hamilton. However, the Dutchman overtook the Mercedes driver during his pit stop and ended up winning the race by almost three seconds. Dale Rogers has more.
2: Hi, Tony. Round seven of the FIA World Formula One Championship delivered another stunning race at the Paul Ricard circuit on Sunday. The French Grand Prix was first run at Le Castelay way back in 71 and has seen to be fair many processional races over the years, but not so in 2021. A thrilling duel between Red Bull's Max Verstappen and Mercedes Lewis Hamilton headlined the French Grand Prix. It was a seesawing race with both drivers laying equal claims to winning right up to the final stanza. Verstappen emerged the winner with a penultimate lap lap pass on his arch-rival Hamilton to give him an emphatic win. The Red Bull had looked the faster car throughout the weekend and a victory went some way to make up for the devastating tyre failure at Baku. But the race was not that simple. Leading from pole, Max overshot turn one and gifted Hamilton the lead. As the race evolved, it was the number two drivers who would play a significant role in the outcome. Verstappen had said earlier in the season that he could not fight Mercedes alone, a shot straight across Sergio Perez's bows for him to step up, and step up, Checo has. A long-run strategy for Perez allowed the team to bring Max in and apply an undercut to Hamilton. It worked splendidly. Mercedes believed when it was time to pit Lewis they would have one point second lead on Verstappen, but when Hamilton emerged from the pits for his one and only stop, they were side by side into turn one. Advantage, Red Bull. With Perez still to pit, Mercedes was caught if they wanted to pit Lewis again. Red Bull gave up the lead with Max and pitted him to put him back on the yellow striped medium tyre and gave him 20 laps to Real and Hamilton, who was 18 seconds up the road. Hamilton was caught and simply had to drive to the end on his hard set of Pirellis and hope Max would burn up his newer tyres in the chase. On the last lap but one, Verstappen caught the Mercedes and went back in the lead and gave him a crushing victory. Of the rest, McLaren put in a strong showing and Daniel Ricciardo finally seemed to extract good race pace from the McL 35 Fifth for Norris and sixth for Dan was a great result. Ferrari suffered with severe tyre drop-off, Alpine, Alpine too looked fast but succumbed to tyre problems and Aston Martin adopted a very long run for both cars and grabbed the final spots in the top ten. On to Austria now for a double-header, Tony, and the promise of two really great F1 races over the coming two weekends. Back to you in the studio.
0: And in MotoGP news, Mark Marquez has claimed his first win since his return from injury by winning the German Grand Prix, the six-time world champion. Last one in the 2019 season finale of Valencia, 581 days prior to this weekend's win. The win also means Marquez extends his run to 11 straight wins at the Sachsenring, the final eight of which have been in the MotoGP. In second 1.6 seconds back was Miguel Oliveira and rounding out the podium but further five seconds back was current championship leader Fabio Quartararo. In other MotoGP news Grissini Racing has confirmed it will switch to Ducati for 2022 and on the topic of bike deals Valentino Rossi's Team VR46 is set to announce which bikes it will race next year during its debut season. Rossi had nominated both Yamaha and Ducati as possible suppliers. However, Ducati are now favourites after their sporting director said, I think we're very close to reaching an agreement. To be honest, I hope everything goes right in the next few days and we can make it public. Should the deal go ahead, Ducati will have eight bikes on the grid across four teams, including Pramac Racing, Grasini Racing, Ducati themselves, and also it'll be VR46. That is the news. Let's get straight into the show. This is On the Grid on mypodcasthouse.com. All right. As we always do at the top of the program, we say good day to Richard Crowell from theracetalk.com. Hello, Crowsey.
3: Tony Schebecki, how are you, my friend?
0: I'm excellent. Thank you, mate. And uh, all the better for having watched some amazing racing over the weekend, not just supercars, but F1s and moto gp and moto three and oh it was just there was so much on
3: yeah and we'll, we'll talk about some of the remarkable success on the weekend for second generation sons of motor yeah. cycling greats in australian motor racing it wasn't saturday and sunday an extraordinary period uh with bayless doing and gardner's offspring all winning races which was Tremendous stuff. But, yeah, love Darwin. Really entertaining weekend of motor racing up there. Saturday race was wild. Two Sunday races were uh, not quite so action-packed, but, gee, they had plenty going on and some some ups and downs, as you always get, in Hidden Valley. We love that event, Chevex. I had massive FOMO sitting on the couch watching yeah. that. I, I'm never going to miss that round again. I said that last year. But, um, yeah, it was such a cool weekend, and uh, I'm looking forward to launching into our guest tonight because – um, gee, there's a story to tell about this young bloke and some big news that sort of inadvertently crept out over the course of the weekend as well.
0: Funny story how that all happened too. Let's get straight into a man who's going to be a regular feature on the supercar calendar for 2022. Of course, driving the Castrol Mustang for Tickford Racing. is Thomas Randall. He joins us now. Hello, Thomas. Congratulations, mate. Fantastic Thank news. you.
1: Thanks, Tony. G'day, Tony. G'day, crazy. Um, Yeah, that's... Probably the the best news of the year, to be honest. Like Christmas and <laughs> my birthday all rolled into
3: one. <laughs> Mate, you've you've had some pretty bloody good news this year too. Because uh, you, what you went through at the start of the year was very well documented. You battled with cancer, you cleared that, you got back in a race car, you won a race straight out, and now this she's she's been a roller coaster the last six months.
1: Absolutely, well, it's really been a roller coaster for the last yeah more than that 18 months you know I mean especially last year with with everything that was going on behind the scenes and or in, in my life my personal life and trying to stay focused and trying to win that super two championship I mean that was really the the massive goal last year because we were pushing for that that full-time drive last year and in 2020 but it, it didn't eventuate and it was kind of like right we, I think we we have to do super two again and need to win it. It's kind of like a win or bust situation. And and once you win that, it's well, that's really all you can do before trying to get into the main series and manage to win that even in a shortened, shortened series. So that was that ticked off the list. And then it was all the focus trying to secure a full-time drive for 2021. And yeah, towards the back end of last year, it was looking fairly likely. And the one thing that normally doesn't hold you back. It's not even really a second thought held us back with the, I guess, the the wreck scenario, which a lot of people are aware of. You know, every car needs to, to run on a wreck, which is, yeah, a racing entitlements contract, and there's only so many up for grabs, so the team were pretty confident they were going to get that fourth wreck, um, and they've ran four cars for, for such a long time that it, it seemed like a no-brainer, but, yeah, unfortunately, didn't didn't fall that way, and I had some. Oh, I had to finish, I guess, my my health challenges, which, as a racing driver, it's, it's kind of like a race. You just, you know, when the start date is, and, and you know, what well, you want to know how long it's going to go for. And luckily for me, it was able to be completed as of January first. So now it's just sort of regular checkups. But yeah, it's nothing, nothing too demanding, and there's no real signs of recurrence. So. I'm in a very lucky boat there. And, and like you said, Kylsey, i managed to do the first, well, did the whole S5000 championship, but came back and won the first round about two weeks after I'd finished. So it was a really cool way to start the year. And it, I guess it probably proved a lot of doubters wrong that might've thought, oh, well, he's gone through this and you know, maybe he'll never be the same again. But that, I think that really sort of slammed that door shut and let people know that yeah, know, even after all that, I yeah still believe I can drive.
2: Yeah,
3: well, that was going to be sort of my next question. But what about you? Was S5000 in particular as proving as much to yourself as it was everyone else? Because surely there were some doubts in your mind after what you'd been through late last year. Um, you know, you finished at Mount Panorama in the Super 2 car and then went through a couple of really, really poor months um, with your health. Was it as much proving to yourself that you still had that ability to go and do the job, or were you always very confident in your own abilities that once your fitness had started to come back, you'd be able to do the job?
1: Well, I guess racing's all that confidence, and that only begins in yourself. Mm. So during that period, it was confidence, or the, the confidence in me, I guess, was slightly deteriorating and. It got to a point where, well, I, I actually knew going into Bathurst that I was going to have to go down the path of another surgery. And at that point, that was to sort of see whether I would need to have the the chemotherapy, which it ultimately turned out I did, but the odds were very much in my favour of of getting into full remission. Mm. However, yeah, during that period of of going through the chemo, I mean, I got to a point where I couldn't even throw a ball to my dog you know, so there were certainly doubts. I still had that, that end goal in mind that this is where I wanted to be, but the effects and the toll that it puts on the body, people can only describe it so much until you actually experience it yourself. And it's, it's pretty horrendous. I mean, because it it has to kill the good cells to, to kill the bad ones. And I mean, yeah, going from being so sick on the couch to, being able to get back in that race car. And and we were speaking with Chris Lambden quite a lot mm. and and Mark Rundle, um, you know, the, the owner of Team BRM, about trying to get to Tassie. They prepared the car and they said, look, the car's here, ready to go if you think you can make it. And we thought, okay, well, let's give it a crack. And at no point, I guess, did I think I lost my skill or ability. I think it was just, you yeah, know, what, what sort of effect it would, yeah, have on the body and I certainly wasn't fit at all for that first round. I mean, I was still, you probably see the colour in my face. I was still very pale. Mm. And I remember getting out of the race on the Saturday, just red raw as a tomato, but we managed to put it on pole. And I hadn't driven the car since uh 2009. I'm trying to think now. It might have been.
3: 19,
1: yeah. It was something like that. It was, mm. it was quite a long time. Oh, sorry. It was qualifying at the Grand Prix. Oh, Grand Prix in 2020. Course. Yeah. So I hadn't, hadn't even sat in that car, whereas everyone else, apart from Joey Mawson, were able to test the car at Philip Island. And I had journalists ringing me up saying, oh, are you are going to be at the test? And I said, no, I'm not going to be there. And no one really knew why at that point because it wasn't something I'd, I'd gone public with yet. I just wanted to make sure I got through everything. And I went public at the start of 2020 and I kind of just wanted to close that chapter because I, I, I got quite a lot of messages of support and people asking me how I was going, so I thought, all right, I won't, I don't want to say anything while I'm going through it all. I just, once it's done, I just want to be able to say, Hey, this is what happened. And I'm on the other side of that. So, yeah. But once, well, when I, so when I won that feature race, going back to your question, mm. it was like, yeah, just solidified, I guess, what I can do in a race car and certainly let Tickford know as well and, all everyone that I can still drive. And we actually uh, sort of got that multi year deal done i mean it was announced in the end of 2020 during in december and we got some photos done at the grand prix track and that was actually after my first round of chemo so Mm. i was in those photos you wouldn't help but i was quite sick (laughs) so um yeah it's just been an interesting period and coming off a weekend at racing a supercar in darwin and that, I guess, was the weekend that we announced the, the full-time news. I mean, it was only six months ago that, yeah, I finished, finished the treatment.
0: I'm glad you said just a, a couple of minutes ago that you never felt that you'd lost the ability to drive because testicular cancer doesn't do that. It, yeah. it, it doesn't stop you from being a good driver. You've always got that inbuilt that's there. I'm more of a half-glass full man, and I know that you probably are as well. And I'm wondering whether throughout the period of your sickness, did you actually – put yourself through the thought process of, if I can put my body through this and get through it at the other end, driving ain't going to be able to do, I can do a 1,000 laps of Mount Panorama (laughs) and I'm going to feel pretty good because it ain't going to be as shit as what this is.
1: (laughs) That's a bloody good way to look at it. (laughs) I mean, certainly supercars are very physical, well, very tough to drive. The main element is the heat. that we experienced. I mean, the cars are power steering, so it's, it's not too bad on the arms. It's, it's more the, yeah, it's more the heat and mm-hmm. something that you do notice in Darwin. But like you said, it, it's certainly nothing compared to what I experienced that, that yeah, what I went through. And it's funny when I, when I was first diagnosed at that point, I thought that this is just going to rock, rock my world really. And it, you think of the worst the worst questions that you put in your mind really and along with those thoughts you also think well there goes there goes my racing career something I've worked on well since I was seven in go-karting and I guess that was one factor that I thought maybe that's maybe that's the door closed and then you have the the wreck issue and I thought geez they're making it bloody hard for me to try and (laughs) forge a career here (laughs) so you can imagine that Spend quite a lot of relief in the in the Randall family household.
3: Yeah. Um, the S five thousand just to finish the point on your lead in towards, I suppose, the full time thing. And we know you've driven a supercar plenty. A couple of years of Super Two, you got a couple of starts at Bathurst under your belt. But they're they're big hairy cars uh, with a pretty hard tyre with a lot of horsepower, is there a correlation between jumping out of one of those things and jumping into the supercar and going, oh yeah, similar sort of experience. And, and they've just announced as this show goes to air that, that S5000 is going to get a bunch more super license points now for, for supercar driver qualification, basically, um, which seems sensible. So is it a legitimate pathway? Is it a way to step out of one of those things and jump into a supercar and be a bit closer to the money straight out of the, out of the people, Anchor, I suppose. In terms of,
1: I guess, the actual vehicle characteristics, there's probably not that many similarities. I mean, the the, the main similarities would be, I guess, they're they're a heavy V eight powered car, um, and they don't like to turn, which is very similar to a supercar with this, mm. you know, this the spool diff in a supercar. They don't like to turn, and and you look at an S five thousand. They're on extremely hard tires, which really not a similarity to supercars. I mean, our qualifying sessions in S5000, we're doing our fastest laps really right at the end of the session, which you do that in supercars as well, but you haven't been out there for the entire session. You, yeah. you come in with three minutes to go, and it's all about that one lap, nailing that one lap. So I guess that's where, yeah, S5000 is a bit more forgiving on in qualifying or even in the race, the tyres, they last quite a while. I mean probably the only track that they, they've struggled at that we've been to were, were Sydney Motorsport Park because that's pretty harsh on tyres. However, in saying that, certainly if you can handle an S5000 and be relatively competitive and fast, there's no reason why I guess you can't jump in a supercar and, and sort of be there or thereabouts. I mean, mm. it's like anything, isn't it? The, the more laps you do in something... I guess the better you're going to be, it's practice makes perfect. And I mean, I remember jumping into a supercar straight out of Formula 4 and I was yeah quite competitive in F4 and still you sort of, I guess, miles off because there's so much to learn in a supercar and it's all about maximising that tyre and and then in a race trying to understand the tyre degradation and that's something that I've been really working on. So not, not so much a, a factor in S5000, but um, like I said, there's still similar factors. And even the AeroWash, you know, there's AeroWash in supercars, there's AeroWash, a lot, a lot of AeroWash in S5000. So, um, yeah, it'd just be nice to see, uh, I guess, you know, 15 plus cars in the grid for the next season. That'd be really cool.
0: How much involvement have you had in the last 12 months in securing the wreck and getting the whole deal done with Tickford? For this fourth car, have you been pretty hands on with with dad and the like in getting it all done, or have you just left it to to other people?
1: In terms of securing the wreck, that's that doesn't involve me. That's
0: yeah.
1: all to do with Tickford and I guess the you know the shareholders there and, and the owners there. So yeah, I, I don't. It's not, I guess, anything I need to be worried about in regards to their business model. And I mean, it's kind of common knowledge that. I guess their business model is four cars and that's how they've liked to operate for probably, you know, the last seven years or something like that. Yeah. So normally the fourth car has been a I guess a customer car. And I mean in recent times, well, I guess you had the uh 23 red car, that was a I guess a customer entry.
2: Yeah.
1: Um so but yeah, four cars is normally how they like to operate. But in terms of, I guess, securing the drive, yeah, that was yeah really my dad and I were quite heavily involved in in that and trying to make that happen. And, um, yeah, we feel like Tickford is the right place to be. It's close to home. There are a really good bunch of guys and girls that work there, enjoy working with the engineers. Uh, Tim and Rod are really good. And, um, it's yeah, it's it's going to be great to see how we work together next year as a team full-time, not just these couple of wildcard appearances.
0: So I suppose the extension to that question, and, and I'm, I'm not sure whether you know the answer or not, but did Tickford get this fourth wreck particularly because you were there and ready to go? Would they have still got the fourth wreck otherwise?
1: I believe so, yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. That, that, they, they've been wanting to go back. Well, there were four cars last year yeah. and they went down to three because one of the wrecks wasn't theirs, uh, which is, yeah, public knowledge. And that's, I can't remember which team took that. I don't know if that was Planchard or I'm not not 100% sure where that rep went. So avoid last year, you know, they owned three wrecks when they wanted to go back to owning four wrecks. So, yeah, it's just, I guess we've just had to wait a little bit longer than we'd like. But to be honest, it hasn't. I guess not changed too much, but the old saying: "When one door closes, another door opens." And we've been able to do this, or well, we're currently doing this wildcard program. I'm still going to be driving with them at the Bathurst One Thousand. So, and I've been able to do the S Five Thousand Championship at the start of the year, and we're doing some sports stand rounds in my dad's V Eight powered Saab. So, yes. it's it's not it's not all bad. I think it's worked out rather well. It's it's been actually probably a really good way to introduce me into supercars by doing it this way
3: yeah well you i mean you'll get almost as much running in your three wildcard rounds as you would in a six round dvs there or thereabouts when you get your practice and when you was, include yeah. include bathurst as well so it's it's free testing isn't it for you to get up to speed now we could pick apart your run at tail and bend and you run at the weekend until the cows come home you get an eighth place at which was a really solid result he had ninth in race one at the weekend which was really strong but I want to talk about that Thomas I want to talk about the old move down at turn one there on Anton De Pasquale that was absolutely the move of the weekend um if fans haven't seen it yet jump on the social media it's all over the place um great bit of race car driving just talk me through that please and how that all played out with a big big send down the inside there at one
1: well, you know it's funny, Grailsy, That all came about because I made a mistake in the yes. final corner. So
3: <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> if it wasn't for me stuffing
1: up, <laughs> we wouldn't have had that. So if I had have just stayed on the line and finished P11, no one would have even batted an eyelid. It would have no. just been like, oh yeah, you know, cool. But the fact that my mistake actually led to that was pretty, pretty, uh, pretty cool. But yeah, so I guess I was pressuring Will Brown for quite a few laps I had I think nine or nine lap old fresh oh sorry nine lap fresher tires than him because we opted to to stay out a bit longer and I was catching him catching him and then sort of got right up to him and that's that I mean catching is probably the easy part but passing as we know is, is the difficult part and I was just trying to pressure him into a mistake he made a couple mistakes and then I made a mistake which is not a try and pass someone anyway so going into the last corner turn 14 I just went a bit hot and lucky to kept on the track. And then Anton at that point had caught me because I was stuck behind Will. And then he's got next to me on the main straight. We dragged down the main straight. There was a bit of side draft there. I kind of thought maybe I can sort of re-overtake him on the straight, but it was never going to happen. And because it's such a long straight there, it gave me quite a long time to think about what to do. And I was tossing up, okay, do I, trying to break him, go around the outside. I thought, no, nah, that's not going to work. And I was so annoyed at myself for losing that position in that way. Well, because it wasn't a legitimate pass from him. It was like he'd been gifted that move. And I thought, no, nah, we, it can't end like this. This can't, this can't finish on this note. So mm. I thought to a move I've seen Dan Ricardo pull a few times where you just will get out of the throttle and slot him behind because at the end of the day, That's the closest I was going to be to him. And I knew he wasn't going to expect it. He he would have just thought, oh, yeah, I got the move done. He had no reason to look in his left-hand mirror at that point. And, yeah, sort of got down to turn one just for the braking zone. I rolled out of the throttle, slotted in behind to get that slipstream. And then he braked quite, like, earlier than I was expecting. So then I – at that point, I was already wanting to do the move, but that just made it the decision easier. Mm -hmm. So then I just – so I threw it down the inside and I knew that Shane Van Gisbergen pulled the exact same move on him the day before so I knew there was grip there, there yeah, and yeah, no lockup. it all just worked out really well and then managed to just hold him out to the middle of the corner and get the move redone and at that point I was like, okay there's no way he's going to be re-overtaking me after that move I, was, I just knew that I had to finish in front of him after that and yeah, we managed to. So it was, it was fr- quite a cool feeling, and got finally got one back on him from a yeah. year and a half ago.
3: Yeah, yeah. I loved your reference to that as well. To the open wheeler stuff in the broadcast. Yeah. That was. I don't know how many people got it, but I was there and saw it happen. I reckon so you
1: know. I reckon you might know where it's from as well. Yeah, I do, I mate. You might yeah. Have an idea.
3: I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's the best eleventh place of the season so far. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, thought... people don't normally brag about <laughs> no. finishing eleventh. <11th. laughs>
0: Hey, Thomas, we I know you're an avid reader of the power rankings on the the race talk, and we had the new tyres, I think, under the what category because we just wasn't sure whether they were actually any benefit or whether they were. What was the the feeling like in the driver cohort? Were you a little bit disappointed in what they probably didn't deliver?
1: I guess because I'm a newish driver, I'm not really used to the soft tyre or, you know, our regular soft tyre, so tail and bend. Well, I guess I'm, I've run on them at uh, Gold Coast. I ran on them there and sand down as a co-drop. But that was sort of my first solo experience on the SOPs. But I guess, yeah, the the Deg was a lot better than I expected. It was probably as good, maybe even slightly better than the soft time. So um in terms of qualifying tire it's hard to really know i mean it just Mm. it felt just like a soft tire to me but in terms of the deg on the tire i was surprised how long they were lasting because i guess the the data the team had been given from that ipswich tire test was suggesting that you know we were going to drop off a lot earlier than we did i mean we were able to push stints like 22 to 25 laps and the deg was surprisingly pretty good. So, yeah, whether <laughs> whether they, they, they wanted a more deggy tyre, I mean, we were all expecting it. So, um, however, in saying that, I still think it provided good racing because because everyone was unsure about the deg. We all, everyone pitted at different times, which I think still made it quite good because yeah. different people had tyre advantages, different people had tyre disadvantages. So, I reckon you'd probably notice on a more Degradating track Unlike I think Darwin Is Not too bad On tyres So um, Mm. Maybe somewhere like Perth Well SMP No Perth is not Perth now With the red surface Okay There's pretty much No degradation So But somewhere like Townsville or SMP. I don't know when, I think Winton's the next running, but Winton again, doesn't have a lot of degradation. So I think- Bring back Philip Island from four years ago. (laughs) That that place is degradation city, Tony.
3: You you could run rock tires at that joint and you'd still get some deg, I would have thought. (laughs) (laughs) Just through the load. (laughs) That was good, mate. So just quickly looking ahead now, um, you've got one more wildcard to go?
1: Correct. Yeah. One more in Perth. Yep.
3: Okay, yeah, that, the, the Super Night event at Perth. So I think um, I think all the wild cards are sort of going to do that one as well. They're on the same sort of program. And uh, and yeah, then into the Bathurst 1000, of course, as a co-driver for your third start in the great race. So do you now go to all of the rounds with Tickford? Now you're there as a basically a full-time driver. Are you at all the events? Are you with the team full-time building up not only to Bathurst, but obviously getting your eye in for, for what's going to come when you're a full-timer next year?
0: Signing autographs, taking photos, doing Correct. all that sort yep. of stuff. Yeah, just just
1: stuff you would normally be doing. Tony, is that right?
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but not getting paid kind of, as well. Kind of a big deal. People know him.
1: Yeah, well, absolutely. Look, I, at this stage, I I wasn't attending Townsville. I, I'll probably just attend the races that I'm doing at this point in time. And unless there's a yeah you know, a little legitimate reason I need to be there, mm. because at you know, the end of the day, I can we can go through all the data after the race and really it's probably an added expense having me there, you know, another flight, hotel, you know, food and all that stuff that really they probably don't yeah, you know, don't need to worry about. Um but Perth is gonna be really good. I would definitely be there for that one. Mm. <laughs> and it's gonna be nice to drive that car at Barbergallow, been there a few times and I mean that wildcard program has, yeah, like I said, been really good and I just wouldn't be able to do it without the support from you know Castrol, uh, Herzog Steel, ACT Fence. So it's it's been yeah, like I said before, a really nice introduction to the series. And I didn't expect to be doing back to back rounds because of the the delay to yeah. Winton. However, I might, I might I might attend. Well, I probably will attend Winton because it's a local round. Mm. So yeah, we'll just. I'll be watching Townsville on the TV, cheering on the team, and cheering on Zach Best in the Super Two series. He hasn't he hasn't driven for a while back yeah. in, Bathurst in February, so those I reckon those boys and girls will be a bit bit rusty, but
3: be good to watch. Yeah, full full grid up there too. Thirty two yeah. cars, I understand mm. me, between Super Two and Three, so that's going to be uh, pretty wild at that little little joint. It'll be good. Yeah, for sure.
0: Hey, mate, thanks so much for your time, Thomas. Really appreciate it. Congratulations on the gig for 2022. We'll be cheering you on, as a lot of people will, make you one of our favourites here on the show. And we uh, wish you all the best for the remainder of uh, 2021 and what that might bring. Thank
1: you, Tony, and thanks, Crailsy. Always a pleasure to chat with you guys. Good
0: Thanks, on you, mate. mate. Thomas Randall joining us right here on The Group. <laughs> To the conversation, Mark Walker from the dot com, who was also very much glued to the television over the weekend. Hello, Mark.
4: Yes, I love television. Um Richard, <laughs> Crow. This is unusual. We get to talk about race meetings. I, I don't know Shouldn't what it? to do now. What, what do I do with my mouth? This is unusual.
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's a nice feeling. Enjoyable weekend though. I thought uh, loved my time of- on the the old the racetalk.com couch groove got pretty deep by the end of it there. Cause um, although there were some moments where you're up on your feet, cause it was pretty good racing from both from hidden rally, but everything else that was going on on the weekend as well, but uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, big weekend from a championship point of view for supercars. It was only a matter of time before SVG started winning races again uh, after crushing everybody at the start of the year. So he's back right back to where he started from at the very pointy end of the field. But behind him, it's um, pretty chaotic, and there's a whole heap going on as everyone battles over the minors in the the supercar championship.
0: Big implications also for Superbikes, which were very much a part of the weekend in Darwin with Troy Herfoss, who won that first race and sort of put him a bit closer in regards to the championship. He's going to be out for a while, one would think. So uh, that might just be going one way to Wayne Maxwell. Well, let, let's
3: just start there, boys, because I, I think we don't normally talk much two-wheeled stuff on this show. Uh, there are many outstanding two-wheeled podcasts out there, I'm sure, um, but uh, in fact, go and listen to Gregory Rust's, uh, friend of the show's, chat on Rusty's Garage with Wayne Gardner. Outstanding. Um what do we think? Uh, I mean, there was probably some mixed feelings about superbikes being on that program in place of a regular supercar support category, like a Carrera Cup or whatever it might be. But um, dramas in race two with a m- massive shunt, but the racing itself was actually pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah,
4: I mean we don't normally talk about the Australian Superbike Championship, and this whole four wheel world never pays much attention to it. You know, it all sort of just bubbles along in its own little little circles there. Uh The takeaway from the weekend uh, it was good it was good to do something different. obviously, the Northern Territory government have it there because they would typically have a standalone superbike weekend mm. where they 'd pay for superbikes and all the collateral that comes along with that to make the tour up there. But by combining the two, any of those extra superbike fans who wouldn 't go to the V8 meeting came along, and then on the flip side of that it it gave those superbike guys some really good coverage. Uh, the Troy Harefoss deal. That, that was a huge stack, wasn't it? And it's not a place where you'd normally see car spear off there, so it was a, a bit of an odd one. Uh, the, the specialist motorcycle press, which there doesn't appear to be a whole lot of actively really getting up on the wheel, so to speak, and covering the sport these days, which is a shame. But uh, they shone a lot on those temporary air fences there when they're not secured to the ground at the front. You know, there's obviously mm-hmm. pros and cons of doing that, but the con is when the bike went in, it ripped the air wall away and he only had solid things to hit, which was uh, a tough deal. And, um, you know, supercars fans, we're not used to seeing ambulances going around carting people away after a race, are we? It's just mm. not what we're accustomed to seeing. It's obviously something that happens in the motorbike world all the time, but uh, it was just a, a bit of a weird thing, you know, would it work better at a Phillip Island or a, a track like that, that is better suited to motorcycles?
0: That's a fair point. No, that is a fair point. But I think, I, I think the main, and I'm not talking out of school here, but you were very dubious about the superbikes being on the card and what value they would add to the actual supercars weekend. I think by the end of the weekend, though, you'd probably turned around a bit. Oh, look,
4: my personal preferences for cars or bikes—that's irrelevant. It's yeah. What's what's good for the sport? No, but I'm just so, saying
0: you were probably you were probably like a lot of other people. A lot of other people thought, "Why are there bikes on this card?" We're, we
4: haven't seen it in seven years, Shabeks. Mm, like yeah. it was, it was a curiosity.
3: It's like having the jumpy trucks there. It's a curiosity. It's well, and, and the last time it happened, the, the super bikes probably weren't as good as they are now in terms of the competition because it's, no, it's generally pretty competitive field, and and there's brands like Yamaha and Ducati and Kawasaki throwing and Honda throwing bucks at it as well. And that that's probably the other thing for mine is that if this continues forward and I'd be a betting man, I'd say that it's going to happen at more rounds next year. There's a commercial side of this that works as well, both from broadcast from corporate tapping into these two wheel manufacturers. Um, and there's crossover opportunity as well. And we, I thought it was done very well, Bolt Craig Lowndes on the back of a bike and go for a pillion ride. Jess Dane went for a pillion ride as well. That's good PR for everybody involved. It's great. So I think, it brings the two worlds that are usually very disparate and very separate together. Um, if they can do that at two, three rounds max yeah. a year, good for, great for super bikes, huge for their profile, but I think it's probably good for supercars as well from an event point of view, because like you said, point of difference, something new. Um, and, and from a commercial point of view, it adds up as well because there is money in the two wheel world. It's pretty lucrative commercially.
4: We, we've noted it in noted it in the power <laughs> rankings this week. <laughs> Lots of syllables there. Uh, that The standard copy-paste affair that we've got with the calendar, it's good. It works. Our normal fare is very good. We've got a good package, good supports that go around to the bulk of the races. Mm. Uh, obviously, it's a standalone event up there that the Northern Territory promote themselves so they can do what they like with it. But throwing the Nitro Funny Cars in there Friday night, that was sensational. Like, Amazing. And that brings in another audience. Like what else could the sport do to have more crossovers? Well, have have remember the old trucks. Yeah, revive yeah. them. Super trucks. Yeah. have yeah. have a rally cross or something, do something you know that we can get these different fan base, expose the sport to some different things. yeah, you
3: know, the jumping trucks is an oddity, so people get behind it. Bikes are different. And, and super trucks do something weird. Mark, this was something the Adelaide 500 did better than anybody else oh, yeah. up until they shut the motorsport board down, was innovate and and do different things to keep it fresh because you've got to keep doing that. And while, you know, the, the calendar's great and there's consistency and the support categories and all of that, you know, after 20 years, an event gets stale. So you need to innovate and do different things. I thought that drag racing was outstanding now it was helped by the fact that you had nathan prendergast supercar tv behind the scenes driving the tv product he's a massive drag racing guy and was in that before he was in circuit racing um chad nail on a matt nolte mates of ours who were calling it but the product itself was great the aeroflow nitro funny cars they're not it, it's serious drag racing but it's not a serious uh all out must win competition it's geared towards entertainment and yeah. that's why the cars carry amusing nicknames and they're brightly liveried and it, it's geared towards the show i thought the fit was great and you know the proof the absolute 100 percent proof that it worked was that on sunday darwin announced that their friday crab was their biggest crowd they've ever had on a friday at the triple crown event in 23 years of it running that's a massive tick, huge. What a way to stimulate your Friday. Fox get content all the way till 10 o'clock on Friday night in primetime TV. Brilliant. Doesn't cost them anything more because everyone's there covering it already. Great for drag racing, which has been in all sorts for the last decade because they're rudderless and there's different competing sanctioning bodies. What a What a great display for everybody. And the word you mentioned there was sport. The sport. Our sport isn't just supercars. The sport is bikes. It's drag racing. It's speedway. It's rally cross. It's rally. Like you said, w- great. The, the OTR super sprint at the bend, there's a rally track at that venue, run a rally. The same time as you're running a supercar round. speedway, they're building a sprint car track next to Sydney motorsport park. So you could do the Sydney super night one night. And then the next night you could have sprint cars running there or drag racing at Sydney dragway. Like, I think the opportunity to innovate is potentially now with what we've all been through for the last year and stimulating these events, it's better now than it's ever been, for sure.
4: And the other thing too is that Darwin played to their strength. Their Saturday night concert was Bernard Fanning. Mm. I mean, some of these other events, oh, we've got the Aussie hip-hop going on here tonight. But that's not necessarily a crossover with the demographic that are turning up for you car race you know it'd be interesting to see what they do with the gold coast with it being in schoolies what do you what do you do there you're oh. trying to draw in the schoolies crowd are you trying to attract motor racing fans what are you trying to do there but the northern territory have always been pretty good of putting on a bit of a, a rock and roll act to support it up there which does give it that big event vibe and we know ourselves from being up there that it's their melbourne cup it's the yeah. biggest thing yeah. that happens every year up there so you know they it's good to see that they're innovating. It's good to see that they're trying something different, and I think it worked for the weekend.
0: Uh, weekend's racing for supercars was pretty good. There, there was a little bit of a mix-up. Chas Mostert winning a race was fantastic for that team.
3: Yeah, they're they're competitive now, aren't they? Most points over the weekend. Um, the most impressive thing was that the fact he didn't qualify particularly well for all three races, but worked his way forward in all three races. Got a win, yes, helped by Triple Eight, dudding their stop for shane but um but back that up with some great drives they're they're there or thereabouts wau at least with that car they've got some work to do with young bryce in in the second entry but um with what they've put together and it's only going to get better and there were some comments as well about grant mcpherson coming on board it, it's got a very triple eight feel what's going on there now they're stacking the deck they've got their gun driver with his gun engineer that he's got a, an amazing relationship with but now they've they've drawn in grant as well from a engineering oversight point of view good race teams get all the good people the good drivers all the good tech and that's what wa is building towards wau is building towards now and i really like it it's exciting to have that team competitive again and regularly mixing it up there with djr and triple eight especially
4: Remember when we had the big break last year and we lobbed up to Sydney Motorsport Park and we had some very silly racing? Yes. It's what it was on Saturday, wasn't it? There was all sorts of madness going on left, right and centre. And one that's been completely overlooked and everything, Kirk Kostecki in the Walkinshaw and -and Trinity United wildcard came home sixth. Mm. Like that's a top, a wildcard. He came home sixth, fantastic stuff. So that was good to see. From, from some guy that you wouldn't normally expect that from. And it was right behind his brother too in fifth. So uh, Jake Stecky there in the Matt Stone racing car, I reckon that's a great effort.
3: Well, and, and Shebex, to show you how quickly it changes as well, you don't need to look any further than Kelly Grove Racing, who oh, yeah. were rubbish at just a terrible, terrible weekend. But at the bend, they were incredible. And Andre yeah. Heingart was on pole a couple of times and won a race. So it shows you how quickly... The, the wheel can turn. And then even on the weekend as well, um, we were all jazzed up about team 18 um, team Charlie being competitive and qualifying. And they were great. They were, but didn't they just have an absolute Barry Crocker of a weekend? Mark Winterbottom 22nd, fifth and seventh was okay, but Scott Pye 21, 13, 16 in the three races, but was in the top 10 in all of them in quality and had potential race winning pace, but it's so competitive in that midfield. Um, it's, it's remarkable But once again, boys The only team at the moment Consistently putting two cars In the top five in every race Is Triple Eight Race Engineering That's yeah. their number one strength Time and time and time again
0: Yep, they do it so well And Mark, I did like a tweet that you put out In regards to Tim Slade and uh, Tim Blanchard Racing And is they're just really the quiet achievers, aren't they? They're just going about their business Getting a good handful of points each race and they had a fantastic start, of course. They had that massive crash, which uh, put a stop to that very early in round one, but they can, they'll have a good year.
4: Yeah, they've had three top tens in the in the last four races, and they, it would have been four out of four if it wasn't for that panel damage in the middle race there. So, And that, and that's from the oldest car in the field mm. by a huge margin. So they've obviously got some smart operators there, and they're all doing a very good job. Uh, interesting to see next year they might be – stuck out on an Island at the end of pit lane being a a single car team. Well, we don't know where all the wrecks are going to wind up in the meantime, if there's any, any three car team to pop up or whatnot, but uh, the new wreck going there to Tickford racing. So uh, they'll lose their buddy at cool drive racing, unfortunately.
3: Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and, and where the licenses do end up, but yeah, they may be hoping for some, uh, they may be hoping for some wild cards to rock up, which probably won't happen at least, well, maybe early in the season. It will actually next year, because everyone will want to use up their cars before uh, gen three rolls in at Sydney in August next year. So who knows? Maybe the start of the year could be filled with wild cards. Um, Will Brown was great. Wasn't he impressive? Uh, Yeah. Top 10 finishes um, fourth on Saturday, which was a crazy race, but Made the most of it, did it without a cool suit as well, an eighth and tenth on the Sunday. Gee, that was that was really impressive. Erebus, uh I don't know. Are they the surprise of the year? Probably from what we expected going into this year with two new sponsors, two new drivers, rookie drivers. I'd say yes. And Will Brown's tenth and Brody Kostecki eleventh in the championship.
4: Yeah, and new engineer package there as well. I mean, you look back to Darwin last year. Obviously, Anton jagged a win there on tires, but Reynolds was P nowhere like he was this weekend from a track that he's traditionally very good at. So, yeah, I think they're batting above their average at the moment. Um, I I certainly didn't expect them to be going this well, but uh, we'll be interested to see how it keeps panning out for them.
0: Having said that, though, I think Friday we were talking about the fact that they just didn't look good in practice. They weren't really thereabouts. They really turned it around going into Saturday and and for the rest of that Mm. weekend. So, well done to them. Neither of them had ever been there before.
4: But the thing is, yeah. what can you what can you read into practice? It it all depends yeah, well, on what your program is. I mean, if you're out there doing race runs, that's not going to show up on the timesheet. So yeah, take what you will from practice or testing times.
3: The Let's, other one, uh, sorry, sorry Shebex, The other one to talk about is BJR, and I I don't know what Uncle Brad's done to the world this year, but I think we need to single out Nick Perkatt because. I think at times we look at Nick and go, he's having an absolutely shocking season, but he's seventh in the championship. So he's on 827 points. He's not that far behind. He's what 45 points behind Mark Winterbottom and 200 points out of P5 with Cam Waters is probably the last of the serious title contenders we're looking at, at this point. So Nick's doing another really, really impressive job. Great podium Uh, on the saturday race which is good but then hazelwood 17th jack smith 22nd uh in front of macaulay jones is 23rd a great quality pace but no race speed and luck so um brad's getting it right with one car but gee um they'll be looking forward to a a next gen car i would have thought for next year to try and reboot that race team because um it's been a struggle for them this year outside Mm. of car number eight
4: Although their legal department is absolutely on fire there to get <laughs> Nick had off that uh, charge of the low tyre pressures on Saturday. because like you, re- y- you read that summary from Motorsport Australia and it is heavy reading that gives you an ice cream headache. It is uh, a really interesting document to read there because essentially they did the wrong thing, but they got away with it. Well, I,
3: I like it. I, I, I like that document too. And yes, it was ice cream headache inducing stuff. But and you'd never talk about it in a TV broadcast because everyone would turn no off sense. straight yep. away. But I like I like the fact they took into account the fact that the team went to Adrian Burgess before the race actually started. Um proved that it didn't have a, an effect on the performance of the race car from the actual start of the motor race. Outlap, yes, grid Certainly, it was in error. So, I, I like the fact they didn't penalize what was a really good drive from Nick for something that the team cocked up at the start. Now, you win as a team and lose as a team, yes, but there's a fine line between um, a team penalty and a driver penalty as well, and something that affects the driver and a really good drive when they actually fixed it before the start of the race. So, I don't mind that kind of leniency, I think, in making those decisions because we all get really frustrated when they go and change a race result after a race. Um, So I'm glad that that didn't happen. And I I don't think, you know, the the report said that they actually started the race with higher tire pressures than they would have normally had. Than anyone else on the field. Correct. So it, it, from a sporting point of view, it didn't change it. So a, a technical breach that doesn't affect the performance of the car. I'm completely on board with a team fine or a points penalty and not pinging the driver. I think that was a really smart decision from the stewards, um, obviously coming off what Adrian Burgess had said and and the various people involved in that. I thought that was really good race management from a sense.
4: And the thing is, when there's a precedent like this happen, they'll go back and look at the rule book again. Mm. And if there's any loopholes there that Brad Jones has taken advantage of, Mm. they'll tidy it up and there won't be a a problem in the future.
0: Yeah. Finally, boys, uh, we spoke about it very briefly before, but uh, nice to touch on it now. Three sons of guns over the weekend. What a, a great uh, weekend for the name of Gardner, Dewan and Bayless.
3: What a cool story. Uh, I mean, I don't know what the odds are of the sons of three of the greatest motorcyclists in Australian motorsport history, for sure, but three of the better-known names in Australian motor racing, full stop, world, world champions, all winning within the space of... What six hours? Yeah, uh, just extraordinary. So Oli Bayless, seventeen-year-old wins in Australian Superbikes at Hidden Valley. Really impressive drive against Wayne Maxwell. who's the goat of Australian Superbike racing. Um, Remy Gardner goes and smokes everybody again in Moto Two, which he and you know he's locked into the big big class next year. And Jack Doohan in between the two of them. Yeah, goes and wins in Formula Three at Paul Ricard. Yeah. In really difficult, challenging, wet, dry conditions, that was such a cool race to watch because those cars looked evil in the wet on that racetrack. They were sliding around, they're backing the things into corners. Uh, he was under pressure the whole way through, made a pass for the lead, and then had to hold off at the end. Super stuff! But you know, Bayless Gardner and Dewan all winning in second generation drivers. That's really, really cool story. I, I, that grabbed me on on Sunday night. I thought that was awesome.
0: Yeah. No, it definitely was, no doubt about it. Uh, we should also mention too Scotty McLaughlin finishing, I think it was 14th. Yep. Road to America. Uh, I, I love his honesty at the end of the races and in and and putting it where he's at. Potentially we could have finished four or five spots higher, but I've just got to start learning these cars a bit better and, and understanding what they do. And he's absolutely spot on.
3: Yeah, he's an honest bloke, isn't he? He's good. He'll be right. Um, good to see Danny Rick back in form as well. Cracking yeah. Grand Prix Sunday Disney's night.
0: His teammate didn't wasn't too happy about it.
3: No, no, it's all right. It was good. Well Lando beat him in the end on strategy. But oh, no. um but it no, was the insane. Dan of old. It was the full send, you know, last of the late breakers. But no, a thoroughly entertaining weekend of motor racing. Enjoyed it.
0: Hmm. Are you entertained, Mark?
3: I believe so. I'm actually quite entertained at the moment by Richard Krauth's attire. It looks like
4: he's left the windows open there at Race Talk HQ in the Brossa Valley. Is it cold there, Rich?
3: Yeah, it is. And this is a visual medium, so no <laughs> one knows what you're talking about. No. So I will tell them I'm wearing a beanie. It's a Porsche Motorsport beanie. It is too. Um I don't actually honestly, I don't know if you can buy them. I, I the Porsche apparel collection is there. I don't know if they sell this particular Porsche Motorsport beanie, but it's very warm. My ears were cold. So mm. You know, we record this on a Tuesday night and it's bloody winter. So, what do you I've
0: got to go because uh, my wife's cracked the shits. Uh, she's very cold <laughs> in our house and our heater isn't working. So, oh, no.
3: If, <laughs> Get on the bike, Shebex. <laughs> uh,
0: she doesn't understand podcasting.
3: We wish you warm thoughts wherever you might be listening. Thanks, everybody.
0: Exactly. Hey, uh, guys, catch you next week. Bye All for day. now. Thanks for joining us right here on the grid.